Welcome to Amplify, a podcast that gives marginalized communities and diverse people a platform to share their story and reclaim their narrative. Before we jump into this episode, I just want to interject and let you guys know a couple things that are happening in this episode, just so that you guys are aware. So this episode was filmed remotely, of course, in order to practice social distancing, but also many of our interviews are actually filmed internationally and across borders. So unfortunately, we can't actually meet in person as well. So the audio quality may not sound the same on either side. And we really tried to edit to compensate and try to use similar microphones. And as you proceed through the episode, you'll notice that the audio quality gets much better. And also we had some internet difficulties. You know, everybody's using the internet during this time, especially Zoom or any of the other platforms that we were using and so a lot of times we would get disconnected so some of the words may be choppy and sometimes the internet would cut out and so we really did try to continue the conversation and make it flow as much as possible this is also recorded at the end of the march so keep in mind that a lot of the regulations that we were talking about are much more alleviated and they're no longer in place so they may not be as applicable right now so that's what we were referring to at the time Welcome back to Amplify. My name is Samar Khadiri, and today we are interviewing Tinchi Nakamura. Hi, Tinchi. How are you doing today? Hi, Samar. I'm doing excellent. How are you today? I'm doing good. I feel like during this quarantine, this has become like our new normal, so I don't really know anything different. I don't know how we're going to go back into civilization and like socialize with people outside our houses I feel like the new normal has become like zoom and all of those types of platforms and I I'm curious to see how it's going to be after this whether or not people are going to utilize this more for communication or they're going to value actually seeing people that's a very valid point yes I haven't seen anyone as well and I'm really grateful for all the social media, actually, because, you know, before it was kind of seen as like a downside to students with their, you know, like social issues nowadays, but now it kind of seems like a benefit. So it's kind of a plot twist now. Yeah, that's kind of crazy because social media has been seen as negative now. It's seen as a way to connect people together. And so that's where everybody's kind of doing all of their updates. and. Now people are utilizing like Zoom and Skype, FaceTime, all of it. So people have been spending more hours than ever on the internet. So hence, that's why the internet has been slower for everybody everywhere. That's true, yes, yeah. I do believe that social media has become like a great way to be able to stay in contact with everyone. I just hope that we won't go back to like, isolate social isolation in the near future though yeah i hope people still find a way to stay connected especially if they're talking about like a re-emergence of this in the fall and everything it's going to be social distancing is something that we're going to do for a longer time now it's not something that's going to go away anytime soon even if they start reopening the economy and everything so i know we've been talking a little bit and catching up so can you tell our audience a little bit about your name, who you are, and where you live? Sure, yes. So my name is Tenshi Nakamura. My hometown is Evansville, Indiana, but I have, current, I have recently moved to Yokohama, Japan, which is just right underneath Tokyo. And I have moved to Japan for a few years because I wanted to kind of work as like an English teacher in Japan. So it's like English as a second language. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. So are you teaching like in like elementary schools or what age are you teaching? All right. So it's actually called in like Aikaiwa school. And so we work with both adults and children of any ages. So we have like our kids program and then we have the adults program as well to be able to include the entire community. Oh, that's really awesome. So are schools still open there during this time? Have they reopened? Right. So since my school is a private school, we are open. However, I have heard that most other 
Aikaiwa schools that I know of are closed or have moved to online. My com uh, school company is currently on all online lessons for you know the health and safety of the teachers and the students. But um, so elementary, middle, junior high, and universities have all been closed since February, and they were due to open back in May. But I think they're going to continue closing through. Uh, they haven't set an exact date yet, but they're going to continue to close through part of the summer at least. So you mentioned that you teach at a private school, so it's open. So what are they doing to like ensure the safety of the students and the staff? Like, What are they doing within the schools that was different before? So now we, so we don't allow students in the school, and so we have like private, like room type thing so they were like we have like individual like teaching rooms and so only there's only like one teacher per room and then we each have our own computers so that we can communicate with our students through like skype or another like uh, online program and then we so they've really taken safety into concern by like making sure our temperature is fine having this use hand sanitizers and make sure to clean after every shift that we do. And also just kind of like sanitizing the entire school and making that a priority. So you, so the students don't necessarily have to go in, but you, you do, is that correct? Uh, yes, so we either have to have a like wired internet connection with a working computer or we can work inside of the branches at the schools. Oh, so you have the option of either staying home or, or going to work, right? Right, yeah. However, the at this point, getting a wired internet connection is difficult for most people just because a lot of the like companies and restaurants and all have been closed due to this coronavirus. So that, that's kind of interesting. Would you, so why would it be hard to get a wired internet connection when those places are co closed? Are they not like servicing like a lot of areas because it's not needed? Yes, yeah, so um, they are trying to like cut down on a lot of businesses or businesses have been choosing to shut down temporarily due to the coronavirus. And so it's make, uh it's really causing, like, it's, I wouldn't say a major disruption, but because it's not affecting, like, our so, uh, like our basic essential lives. But other than that, it's a bit of a hassle sometimes. Yeah, that's really interesting. I know in America, some businesses chose to temporarily close, while others have done, like, curbside pickup and or delivery, is that not something that's very common in Japan like it is in America? It really just depends on the business because some businesses have really taken into consideration the coronavirus and other businesses, there are some businesses that have stayed open. So it really just depends on the company and what they offer, which limits what we can have access to. So I know we touched on like who you are, your name, and like what you're doing for work. I know, I know you personally, so I know that you, you graduated from college last semester, and I, I was always just curious, why did you take such a drastic change after you graduated college and decided to teach English in Japan? So, um, so Japan, Japanese is actually, mo uh, as far as I know, most of my ethnicity, and so both of my parents are from Japan. And so, one, I wanted to go back and see, you know, where they lived and, like, what their lives used to be and just, like, experience the culture of my background. And also, this kind of an interesting story, but my parents actually met at a, like, Japanese English school. So, I just thought it would be interesting to, like, teach just for fun. And plus, it would give me a few years to explore while I'm younger. And I would also get a little bit of like a gap from going back to school for my degree. 
for, you know, like a master's or a graduate degree. And so I just thought it would be a great opportunity because you can really only travel a lot when you're young. Yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like that would be something really fun to do while you're, while you're young. So is that something you didn't really experience much when you were younger? Did you go to Japan a lot during summers or longer breaks? Or has this been the first time that you've been there for such a long time? So um, my parents were actually trying to get their like green card. So when, during the green card process, you aren't allowed to leave the U.S. Otherwise, you're, it's going to be like void immediately. So we had to stay in the U.S. for a lot of my childhood. So I actually wasn't able to visit Japan with my family until I had graduated high school. So since I, I did go to Japan a few times before, I, but they were like times when I was so young that I don't remember it. So most of my childhood, I wasn't able to come back to Japan. So after high school, every summer I came to Japan, but you know, there's only so much time that you can go with, you know, going to college and, you know, doing other life projects. So then I just decided to take some time off from life in the U.S. and just come to Japan for a little yeah, that's awesome. I know, like, for me personally, what we did was my family, they had, we had our citizenship, so we were able to go back, but we didn't go back super regularly. So we went back, I would say every three years up until middle school. And then a lot of my family, my mom's family, ended up moving to the States and to the Evansville area. So we didn't find it a huge need to to really travel overseas. So we didn't really go overseas very much regularly. And I'll say that for me, it's the situation's a little bit different because unfortunately, like the reality for a lot of people that are from uh, Palestine, which is like a Middle Eastern country, is that it's not very common for people to go there regularly or a lot of people just because of the safety have moved out of that area and moved to other areas around the world or other Middle Eastern countries. So usually when I would visit the Middle East, it would be like Dubai or Egypt. And so I don't really have a huge connection to my culture. And that's something that I'm trying to gain a little bit more as I'm older. And I see that you kind of have a similar experience going to live there like right now versus having that connection when you're younger just because you didn't have the ability to go visit as much as you'd like. I do definitely understand not being able to, you know, fully experience your culture because it's really hard to understand the culture of a country when you haven't resided in that country for a little while, which is how, like, for example, like study abroad. I know kids study abroad for like a year in a country and they've really been able to fully experience that. So, which is another reason why I decided to go to Japan for a few years, because I definitely felt like that would help to improve my culture. I think it's nice that your family, like some of your family does live in the U.S. And at the same time, you get to go visit others in, you know, your home country. I definitely think that's a great thing for you to do since, you know, um, most of my family has lived in Japan except for like my immediate family and a few of my cousins. So I never really got to see family going out. So I know family is really important. Yeah, that's interesting. So do you feel like you've grown closer to your culture since moving to Japan? And did you like rekindle any of your relationships with your family members when you moved there? Yes, I do feel like I have. I know it's a little harder right now due to this like coronavirus deal, but I definitely been able to experience some of the culture and I do hope to experience more after you know everything settles down a little and I have been able to see some family not as much as I'd like because again corona but I definitely have been able to see some family and I'm really excited I get to catch up with them after all these years. Yeah I think it's crazy how like after like a couple years like reconnecting with like family like there's family members I haven't seen for I'm trying to think how long it's been probably seven years some of them like 10 years like it's just that's kind of the reality of a lot of 
immigrant stories. I know you were mentioning that your family were green card holders, and so I'm sure you could relate that since you had to stay in the States a lot of times when you were younger, there are probably years like mine where you didn't see family members like that. And I don't think a lot of people realize like how long you go without seeing certain family members, or there's even family members I've never met before. So it's just crazy that that's the life of a lot of immigrants. And it seems like you can kind of relate a little bit with that story. Oh, yes, definitely. I do definitely relate with all of that. For sure, there are family members that I still haven't even met yet. And it's a lot, you know, it's been difficult too without having been in the country for many years. So it's, yeah, definitely a great opportunity to do that now. I know you, we were also talking about you graduating college like last semester. So I know we didn't really touch on like what you're studying. And I'm not sure if you're aware of what you want to cut after you're done with your program there with teaching English, what you want to come back and study here if, if you know yet or what you're interested in. Right. So I graduated with a psychology major and I am current. Well, I wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do after I graduated with the degree, but now after looking at the options, I kind of think I want to either try for a master's for educational psychology or um, forensic psychology, or maybe go to grad school. I still haven't decided, but I don't, I'll probably think about that within the next year and then make my decision. But yeah, I'm excited for the future to come. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. I've, I always got interested in forensic psychology. I think that would be super interesting. And you mentioned um, like psychology education. Do you think you got interested in education after teaching English in Japan? I definitely think, yes, I have for sure. Because I really enjoy like after teaching English in Japan, I really like started to like enjoy education more. And I know sometimes it's not thought of high, very highly just because, you know, for example, in some countries it's not, you know, education workers aren't paid as much. And so that kind of seems like not as big of a field, but I still, it's definitely still important. And I definitely think it's definitely fun for sure. Yeah, and I think education is super important and teachers definitely, I give my hand to them because I'm not a very patient person. So I can't imagine going through and teaching somebody something very slowly. I personally, like I volunteer with a Sunday school, so I do have like a teacher role, but I always see my patients a little bit tested. So I really do bow down to teachers and wish they were paid more for the actual work they do because they do use their own resources and they pay out of pocket and they really do spend more hours than we think doing stuff for the classroom. So you were mentioning that teachers especially in westernized countries like the United States, are not really seen very highly. Have you seen the opposite in like Asian countries like Japan? Are teachers seen more highly esteemed or is it kind of the same reaction? That's a good question. So I can't speak for other Asian countries because obviously I haven't, you know, been to many of them. But so for Japan, I think it might be a little different too just because the culture of Japan is just like very polite and respectful and everyone just like treats each other really well so even for like teachers and all like the teachers are treated pretty well and so I feel like that kind of would you know factor into maybe a difference between other Asian countries but for Japan for sure I do know that there is respect towards teachers and that's crazy. I know you were also saying that that you guys have like a respectful culture. Do you feel like living because you've lived in America, I'm assuming your whole life. So is that much different than what you feel like living in America is like, like based off your experience? Are people you feel like people have that same nature of being super, super nice and friendly and stuff or do you feel like in Japan it's like at a whole nother level? 
Well, there's definitely a big difference for sure. Like Japan's like entire culture is to be like respectful and friendly. And it's also a very like professional atmosphere. Like for example, teachers will actually wear like full, like formal suits. Whereas, you know, in the US teachers, especially if you're working with kids, you can wear like business casual or sometimes even just casual. So there's definitely a difference there. And also it's the, I feel like, so Japan is more, I would say shy and U.S. is more like outgoing and I would say Japan's more passive and the U.S. is more, uh, not aggressive. I don't know what right word for that would be, but like more not as passive as Japan. So I think there's, that's definitely a difference as well in how, you know, the cultures and their, um, behavior toward the teachers are. I find that you say that teachers wear like professional suits because I took an education course um, about like educational like foundations and we talked about a really upcoming school in Atlanta, Georgia called the Ron Clark Academy and so it's a very innovative school. They've won like multiple awards and one of the things that the teachers have adopted is wearing professional clothes because they want to be seen as professionals. And I don't think that's something that's super adopted in the United States. I think teachers do see themselves as professionals, but they don't necessarily dress the part. So people may not take them as seriously. So I find that very interesting that that's something Japan has adopted within their school systems. And I'm sure it might translate on how the teacher and student relationship has kind of gone as well as their relationship with parents. And I find it really interesting. You were talking about how you think in Japan, it's the culture is very passive. They're very calm versus the U.S. who are kind of outspoken. I think just because the United States has fostered an environment of freedom, being able to do what you want when you want it. And I don't know exactly, I'm not familiarized with the legal system in Japan, so I don't know exactly, like, if if they have that same mentality over there or not. But I think even if I'm thinking, because we're going to kind of translate our talk more into the coronavirus after this, I'm trying to think, I'm not sure if you've been keeping up with the news in America or not, but when you said that, it made me think of, like, all these protests that, that were happening uh, maybe in the past couple weeks, like in states where they wanted them to reopen it. And so like in Michigan and Georgia, they had really big protests going on. And, and a lot of the governors gave in to the people's requests. And so I don't know whether or not that's something you see similarly in Japan or not. So, uh, so far, I, have, I didn't even know there are protests in the U.S. going on right now. Uh, in Japan, I haven't as far as I know, I don't know of any protests going on, although there could be, and I, they're just not really big. But for the most part, well, since, well, for one, so Japan doesn't really have, like, the capability to, like, completely shut everything down, like, for example, Italy has, d- due to their, like, legal system, but they have declared, like, a state of emergency, and, like, the prime minister... And all have strongly urged everyone to stay at home, especially during like our holiday season, which we're kind of leaving right now. But so that is, I'd say like that is definitely affected. Uh, Also, how do I put this? I feel like someone explained it to me as like Japan is kind of like too nice or like kind of like soft. Again, going back to like the passive state which also I would say definitely compared to, you know, westernized countries such as the U.S. has definitely made an impact on how, you know, everything is going around. That's interesting. Do you, do you feel like that in Japan people are actually, like, listening and they're not really objecting to the prime minister's orders about shedding, like, a state of emergency? Are they urging them to reopen? Like, the United States, like, like, I'm just thinking of, like, what I've seen, like, on social media and on the news and everything. And as soon as they've released, like, like certain phases and they've said that people can go out or they've opened parks, you see, like, in New York City, for example, if you look at Central Park or Washington Park, 
people are just flooding to those areas. They're not social distancing. They're not wearing masks. And also, this has nothing to do with what I'm just saying now, but I'm trying to, I just saw this on Facebook and I thought I would share about how you said the United States is pretty outspoken. So Costco, which is like, a, for those who are not from the US, it's like a big bulk store. So you can buy like items, like food items and other items in bulk or like with multiple items. So you, it will last you much longer. And so now what Costco is doing, it's requiring members that come in to wear masks. And so there was somebody on Facebook that was openly objecting to wearing a mask and said that's a, that you're not allowing our freedom if we want to wear a mask or not. And so Costco was like, um, what did Costco say? They were like, oh, we don't need your business and we don't need to refund you either because they're really looking at the safety of their customers. And so they're not giving in to what the customer is saying versus a lot of these governors are getting influenced by what the citizens are saying versus what they think is actually good for people. Because here what they're really looking at is like hospital admissions if they're going down, not the actual number of people that are getting it. And so there's they're just waiting until we're geared up enough where we can handle the influx of people that come into the hospital systems, which kind of scares me, honestly. But yeah, I'm going to kind of see how the next couple weeks pan out and everything, because right now in Indiana, at least, I'm not sure if you've heard from family members that like next week they're starting with our stage two. So they're going to start reopening restaurants at like 50% capacity and doing social distancing. So I'm wondering if that's actually going to work or if we're going to start from the very beginning in June. Those are very good points. Yeah. I find the Costco story interesting, first of all. And then, so I think with proper stages, everything should be like, I wouldn't say like go back to normal 100%, but at least the damage would be lowered significantly. And so I do think that, yeah, so maybe I would say June is a little definitely early to open things back up considering you know everything was on lockdown for like how many months now the two at least so definitely think it would take at least the same amount of time to reopen again that's very valid i definitely agree with that i think like i said i think they're rushing into things because of pressure from from the citizens and and everything and so i really do think it's just better to kind of leave the experts to be able to guide us through this because the the more that we listen, the more we get back to our normal. And when you rush into things, it's just going to make us start from the very beginning. So, I mean, that's what I think. I know you said that you guys were in it from June, from February, not June. June hasn't even happened yet, but February. So that's much, that's a little bit earlier than the United States. So I'm guessing that Japan got on things early, that they got the surge a little bit earlier for coronavirus. How have you seen the reaction of people in Japan? And have you seen any different reaction than the United States? I don't know how much your family has told you, but I'm just wondering, like, what are people's reactions in Japan? Like, in the United States, like, originally when it first started, there was, like, this hysteria you know, people were going to grocery stores and they were just stocking up big time. They were buying out toilet paper, Lysol wipes, you know, all of those types of things, gloves, masks, all of it. And so there was like a shortage of personal protective gear. And so a lot of the times people were fearful of going to hospital systems or even employee, like hospital staff were fearful because they didn't have the proper equipment to keep themselves safe while caring for these patients. So I'm wondering like how it was in Japan. Like, was there a similar reaction, similar fears within hospital systems? Right. So definitely all of those are pretty similar actually. So we started the coronavirus occurred because we, so a lot of our economy in the, like I would say like January to February comes from like, the holidays that happen there so for example like whenever our neighboring one of our neighboring countries like had their chinese new year you know everyone came over into japan and so that kind of brought the coronavirus in and then also you know the uh 
the cruise ship also docked into Yokohama, which also kind of brought some of the coronavirus in as well. And at the time, they did let out a not a state of emergency warning, but just kind of like, you know, the coronavirus is happening. And that kind of did scare people a little bit and caused people to like buy out, you know, toilet paper and the same products as they would in the U.S. And so that happened, all happened in February. And they also, you know, closed all the public schools for elementary, middle, high school. And then most universities decided to close as well. So early on, we were able to kind of like, you know, get that settled down. It did kind of reemerge a little bit just because of our cherry blossom season in March, which is one of the prettiest like flower slash nature viewings in probably the world, actually. So because there's it's just really pretty when all those pink flowers come and, you know, take over the city. So we get that Japan gets a lot of people from different countries then and I feel like that kind of set the coronavirus back a little bit and so with uh, the, you know set the um the while getting rid of the coronavirus so the coronavirus kind of came back from that a little which is why we got into like a kind of like a second surge and officially called a state of emergency because that kind of not nearly as bad as the major coronavirus countries but we got our like biggest number of patients from that and so that kind of caused our like current situation which lots more and more every day more restaurants and businesses are temporarily closing and then most people are staying at home or working from home instead of you know going out to their offices or riding the trains to work and then also about the hospitals for sure I would think that a lot the majority of people are afraid of like hospitals and all that and because they just don't want to get sick and they feel like it's safer outside of the hospital atmosphere and also so I feel like obviously there are going to be people who won't listen to the government but more and more as the situation keeps getting worse more and more people have been definitely listening to the government and I do think I would say definitely compared to what I've been seeing and hearing about the U.S., Japan has been more, like, prone to, like, listening to the government. Because I don't see as many people out. Like, for example, now, um, in, around, like, Tokyo, the trains during rush hour would be like, completely packed and you would barely be able to stand. But now there's plenty. There's, like, every other seat is open in the trains. So you can definitely see that many people have decided to stay at home. And the only busy places I see now are, like, parks and all. Or a few parks, but even those are not nearly as bad as what they used to be. They used to be like swarming with kids at the beginning of the coronavirus, and now they're like maybe 10 families or so there. And so I feel like definitely the people in Japan are more, you know, listening to the government compared to the US as well. Yeah, so I find it really interesting that you're mentioning a lot of the experiences in Tokyo versus the United States. and people's reactions. So are parks still opened in Japan? I know here in the United States, there's some areas that are opening up parks. Like I would say parks are kind of open, but they're blocking off like playground areas for people not to go to because as you know, like coronavirus can exist like on metal for many days. So I don't know whether or not that's something that they're doing in Japan, you were also touching on a lot of like the train systems. And so I'm wondering is, are people, a lot of people going to work still? I know in the United States, they've adapted like a work from home area, like a lot of companies that are able to do so. Is that something that Japan's doing? Has there been like a lot of unemployment like in the United States? And what have they been doing about it? I know in the United States, they're doing like stimulus checks for people that make under a certain amount. So I'm wondering what exactly Japan is doing for their citizens there, if that's anything you can touch on or not. So, um, so I haven't been to the main parks in a while, but 
the last time I went, which is around the like cherry blossom season, they were definitely like closing parks earlier. They weren't closing them completely, but they were only having them open for limited amount of time. And then I do see like smaller parks still being open, but not nearly as many people as before are going to those parks. Like for example, before the, the parks would be like swarming with kids and now I see like maybe 10 families around. And also for the train system, so the tr definitely many people have definitely been working from home now instead of going to their offices. And I can tell because for example, during rush hour, the trains would be like so busy that you can barely even stand in there and you'd be like squished against a lot of people. But now there are trains during rush hour, there's like every other seat is open, which is a huge difference from what it normally is. So there's definitely been more and more people working from home. And so a lot of people in Japan, they get to work from home. So a lot of them will get their like normal paychecks or for some people who don't, you know, get to uh, like do as much work from home. They, I know they'll get, most companies will give like at least a portion of their paycheck, often like 60, 70% or so. And so yeah, I definitely, there's definitely been a big difference between pre and current coronavirus. Yeah, I find that interesting that you were saying that despite like not working, that company were still sustaining some type of pay. I know in the United States, it's just very dependent on the company. Um, some companies are giving pay or some, you know, CEOs of companies are relinquishing their salaries to provide to their employees, while others are not necessarily adapting that motto for, per se. So a lot of people have been very dependent on unemployment or they've been very dependent on these stimulus checks that have been coming in as well. A lot of people have even started adopting like different types of jobs. I know a lot of people may have been furloughed or lost their jobs during this time. So people kind of had to roll with the punches a little bit. So a lot of grocery stores are definitely in high demand hiring right now, as well as a lot of like online jobs, especially like Amazon and stuff have been have been hiring and like DoorDash and all these food delivery companies. And so like DoorDash is like a food delivery service. So like you order from an app and they'll have a certain restaurants within your region and you just pay for everything online and somebody will deliver it contactless. And so they won't necessarily hand it to you. They'll just leave it at your doorstep just to ensure the most safety. And we have like other type of shipment services like shipped and, um, I not iCart. I'm trying to think what it Instacart, Instacart, and so those help with delivery of groceries, and even a lot of other businesses have adapted that same mentality. So like curbside pickup for even groceries, or even groceries are delivering as well. So I find it really interesting just to see in Japan what the reaction was. And you were mentioning that you guys really got your big surge during cherry blossom season, and so right now, are you guys? Are your borders closed to tourists or are they slowly opening that again? And you said that that's when it got really bad. So is it continually still getting bad each day or have you guys seen, have you seen it get a little bit better? And does the government have plans of reopening like stages in the United States? And yeah, like what's that process like right now? So currently, so it's kind of all like, up in the air but so I know that many countries are you know blocked from entering Japan now especially after the cherry blossom season I couldn't tell you which ones for sure I know all the main ones are so like US UK um, and then of course you know like Italy and all those um, and then I know for the um, government wise so well for one we are I went meant to mention this earlier but we are they are in the talk of getting, um, so 100,000 yen, so that would be about 1,000 US dollar stimulus checks to the people in Japan. And also, so the government is definitely talking about what they will do for reopening, you know, the economy. They're going to... I'm actually not sure how this works because most of the, a lot of the companies 
decide to close on their own, but they'll probably like say that like more essential companies can open first and then like, you know, place other places that aren't really essential can like open later. I think they'll put, I want to say suggestions, but I think just like a like guideline of like how the economy should be opened and then like set dates for that. But I could, I wouldn't quote me on that. I'm not completely sure how they're doing it and they haven't announced it. I know they were, they've been discussing it this past week and they'll come up with a decision within next week. So are they doing the stimulus checks for sure? Or is that something they're still talking about? I am about 90% sure they are doing the stimulus checks. I haven't heard of anyone that's gotten one yet. So I think they're just confirming that now. But I've just been checking the news about that because I they haven't announced like a confirmation on that yet. So I know in the United States, there's certain like qualifications to get stimulus checks. And I think one criteria, don't, whoever's listening, don't quote me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that you have to be like a United States citizen or I think a green card holder and paying taxes in order to get a stimulus check in. You have to meet certain income criteria. So if you make, if you're a single household, if you make $75,000 or less, or if you're a dual household, so you have two people bringing in income, it's $150,000. And then if you're a dependent under somebody, like if you're 16 years old and younger, then you get additional um, $500 per child. And so if the single household would get $1,200 and then the dual household would get $2,400. So I don't know since I don't know if you hold like any type of citizenship in Japan or anything, but from what you're understanding, would you qualify for a stimulus check from them? Yes. Yeah, so um, actually in Japan, as far as I know, everyone, every citizen, no matter what they make, should get a stimulus check. And then for foreigners, as long as you've been in the country for, I think it was like, th- I'm going to say three months, then no matter what country you're from, as long as you've resided in Japan for like three months, then you should be getting a stimulus check as well. Wow, that's definitely a de- different from the United States. And I know they're in talks of possibly giving another stimulus check. Is this something that's just like a, like at least in the United States, they're in talks. They, I don't know if they're confirmed anything yet, whether or not they're going to be doing more stimulus checks, depending, you know, how this pans out and everything. Is this like a one-time stimulus check for all the citizens or is this going to be something that's continuous until, until we kind of resume back to normal? So, Right now, I think it's a one-time, and then they're going to see, like, how things pan out. And then, depending on that, they might decide to um, hand out more. Yeah, that's interesting. I know I was talking to somebody from South Africa last week, and I was talking to them about the coronavirus. And I don't know whether or not Japan has adapted the same thing, but even when going to grocery stores, they would block off non-essential areas. So anything, like, with electronics or clothing, or anything, they would block off those areas. So people would really only go to stores for actually essential items. Like in the United States, at least, people have used grocery stores in a, as an escape to get out, uh, to go somewhere. So, and they've been buying like electronic products, and a lot of people have been using their stimulus checks on non essential purchases, like, like buying electronics in order to keep up their entertainment. Is that something you think that the government in Japan is fearful? Have they already adapted like within grocery stores or areas to block off non-essential areas? I don't know how the grocery stores are exactly structured in Japan. Is it not like the United States where they have like electronic sections and, you know, clothing sections? Is it just mostly like food and essential products and those types of items are purchased at other stores? So a lot of grocery stores are just grocery stores and then they also have like convenience stores which have a lot of like pre-made like lunches and also they sell like some grocery store items as well and but not many stores I there is only a few that really have like everything from that looks like you know a Walmart or a Target so I'm not sure they're too fearful of that I haven't heard that they were that that has been like you know a problem or that has been something that has been a fear for the government yet as far as I know 
Yeah, that's interesting. I know even like I'm thinking about about my experiences overseas and I think convenience stores is a big thing and and the grocery stores are mostly just groceries. I think the United States has adopted where their grocery stores are kind of a one-stop shop where you can get pretty much anything that you want. So I find that pretty interesting as well just to kind of see the comparison and even grocery store structures because everywhere is so different on how they do things. So I know I was mentioning that the United States has slowly released plans of reopening. Each state is kind of doing it on their own discretion. And like in Indiana, at least, and at least in the, the Evansville, Indiana area, which is like a southern Indiana town, we have plans of doing like restaurants and stuff next week with 50% capacity and all of that. So is that something that the Japanese government is in discussion of? Have they slowly been releasing plans of reopening? And I know, I didn't really touch on this, but I know in the United States it's very hard to get testing for coronavirus. There's very, you have to meet a lot of criteria, especially if you have like symptoms and a lot of people may be asymptomatic carriers or carriers that may not know that they have symptoms and they may have the virus, but the but they don't have any symptoms, so they're unaware. So they're kind of like vectors, and they're spreading that virus everywhere, basically. So I don't know whether or not, how easy is it to get testing in Japan? Like, if you felt like you had it, is it that easy? Like, here you have to first, like, do, like, a telehealth appointment, which is, like, a virtual online, like, appointment. And if you meet certain criteria, then you you have to get a referral from a doctor. But sometimes even if you meet certain criteria, they'll just tell you to quarantine in your house for four, if not 14 weeks, imagine, but two weeks. And like they're even, I've seen like even the United States, like healthcare providers who were exposed to somebody with coronavirus and they didn't even give them testing. And they just told them to quarantine in their house for two weeks. I know I saw the same nurse twice be quarantined for two weeks and she never got any testing so I don't know how easy or how the accessibility to testing is there so testing wise so again like we Japan doesn't have nearly as many people with coronavirus as the U.S. does so at first when coronavirus came up since you know no one really knew what it was and so there weren't that many tests to go around now I'm actually not sure about how I think it would definitely be easier in the U.S. to get coronavirus testing just because there's not nearly as many people who like population wise and people who are getting sick I do know that you know a lot of people don't have any symptoms so that is very difficult to distinguish but I would say from what I've heard from what's happening in the U.S. that it would be easier to get one in Japan as opposed to the U.S. and I know that not knowing if you have symptoms and all is another reason that they are strongly urging people to wear masks just as because that even if I know there's been talk about like masks not really helping, but I think that's at least better than nothing as in terms of like protecting yourself and those around you. And in terms of opening up everything, um, I, they will, I'm pretty sure they are definitely doing it in stages. I'm just not completely sure like what they'll do or when they'll decide to do it. I know that they're discussing it this week and that they should have a decision within the week. I find that interesting you were talking about the masks. So, like, from what I've heard and what I've read about, masks are effective. Like, if you're wearing a mask, for example, then it's effective for you spreading that virus to somebody else, not necessarily from you getting it from somebody else. Now, if everybody's wearing it, then it's kind of like a a double-edged sword where they're protecting themselves from it and they're protecting you from it. And so a lot of people are not very happy about wearing masks. They feel like claustrophobic. And I think it's just the price we have to pay to be safe. I mean, it's just becoming our new normal. And you just kind of have to adapt to it, to be honest. Like, I mean, I've been very diligent about wearing masks. And I know in a lot of Asian countries, at least, I feel like it's something that's pretty common, like to wear masks. Is it common to wear masks pretty regularly? Like what I've seen is that's something that a lot of people have already adapted within the culture. So I'm, I'm feeling like 
people are not going to be as resistant to it in Japan as they may be in the United States because that's not something we're we're definitely used to. Right. Yeah. So masks are definitely more common. Well, they're definitely common in Asian countries. So I would say though, like before, from the times I visited before and from first coming to Japan, that how many? I maybe. 30% of people would wear a mask to start off with. And then now, I would say at least 90%, maybe even like 95% of people are wearing masks due to the coronavirus. At first, they were selling out, so it was hard to get masks. But now, like, the government has given, like, households, it's either two masks, two reusable masks per household or person. And there also have been coming up, like, many people have been making their own homemade masks. And I think it's a lot easier to do all of that just because it, masks are definitely more uh, definitely normalized in Asian countries. Yeah, I find that interesting that you said that the government was like giving out people masks. Like here, people have really been utilizing cloth masks and they have been urging citizens not to buy like the surgical or N95 masks because those are really in in demand and hospital systems are not able to get many at least because I work in the hospital personally and for surgical masks you only get one reusable surgical not reusable but one disposable surgical mask per shift and so you wear it the whole day so I work eight hour shifts so I would wear it for the eight hour shifts and the only time I would ever take it off is either if it got soiled from a patient or if I was eating for example so I find it interesting that they're that they're helping provide masks, but also they're adapting kind of what we're doing here and they're making cloth masks as well. I know a lot of businesses, even if they're selling those surgical masks, masks they're definitely gouging the prices of what they would normally be. I know there was one store here um, that they were selling like 35 masks. So like what would be in a typical container, I think? for like $50. So you can imagine a lot of these companies are kind of utilizing that to their disposal. And I just find that pretty interesting that what Japan is doing for their citizens and helping them be safe, which I think it might be one of the reasons why maybe more people are wearing masks because 90% is a lot. Like if I'm going, even when I go out, I don't, I would say it's probably like maybe like Right now in the United States, maybe 30 to 40% of people. I mean, I haven't really been into the grocery stores too much, but maybe I'd go to park areas and, you know, social distance, be six feet away and still walk and, and wear a mask. And people wouldn't necessarily be wearing masks. So I find that very interesting that since that's already kind of established within within Japan, that it was something that was easily, like, that people could easily get on board with. And it, it's already resulted in a lot of people being able to wear the masks, which I think might even be helping with your guys' numbers. I'm not familiarized with your numbers and how the cases are going, but I feel like in the United States, if at least everybody was wearing masks, then the reopening might be something that's a little bit less fearful. So I know a lot of people have experienced some types of hardship from this virus, whether or not be like being unemployed, getting the virus themselves, being away from family. You know, there's so many types of hardships that people have experienced from this virus. Is there anything that you've experienced or would like to share with the audience? Um, so personally, I haven't had any hardships. I know I talked to, for example, like a lot of students and all, and most of them hadn't had any hardships. I did recently hear of one of our families who said that they would have to like postpone lessons for the next month just because their family has had like a, they, they're still getting paid, just not, they've just gotten like a pay decrease. I'm assuming like 60% of what they made. So they are not coming to our school, but um, for like the next month. But besides that, that's really the only case I've heard of. I know, too, though, like my school, since not as many people want to do like online lessons as opposed to in-class lessons, that there will be like fewer students. I know some schools are going to be closing for sure. And then they're um, for, you know, temporarily for at least for the month of May. And then there will be so like I think some teachers are going to be on standby from what I heard. And then other teachers are just going to be like teaching online from their branches that are open. Yeah, that's interesting. So I have a lot of families at least temporarily withdrawn from classes? Have you feel like your schedule has kind of lightened up a little bit? 
or is it just only a couple families that are doing that? So, well, obviously, like, we don't have in class anymore, but I actually haven't seen my nor most of my students, like, since the in class lesson stopped, I haven't seen even online. But from the um, our company's like online system, I have been still getting the same number of lessons as my normal schedule, like normal in-class schedule, due to like the online system, like you, um, the students being able to for the most, um, it depends on what like, what like system or plan that thing that they have, but they can choose like whoever to go uh, to take lessons from. So I know like mine, my schedule has not changed. I still get students, just they're all online now. Okay, I feel like that's not as bad as I anticipated. I know in the United States, maybe because of more cases we have and kind of the severity of it, it's kind of resulted in a lot more hardships for some people. So is there anything positive that you feel like you've gotten from this experience? Um, you mean from like the podcast? Oh, no, I mean like just from the, <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, like from the coronavirus itself, like, has it made you, like, think of certain things or be more grateful for certain things? I know we were talking about social media earlier. Is there anything else you think that something positive that you may have not valued before this time that now you're really, you're really now being grateful for? Yeah, well, I was grateful before, but now I'm even more grateful of just everything, just, you know, being able to be healthy, being able to work, being able to get supplies you know like necessary for survival um being you know being able to communicate with family and friends and having like help all your family and friends being healthy and so I do think that I'm definitely fortunate and I do definitely well not a little bit different but I do think that from now I hope that like people can actually start like being like kind to each other and like start working together because as long as you work together I feel like you can solve whatever issue that comes your way. So I kind of hope that everyone will start actually working together in the future and maybe that'll like help to destroy any like damages or pandemics that'll come your way. Yeah and I feel like that's a definitely a great message to leave on. I know like because of the situation that happened in the United States and kind of the, I think I'm not familiarized. So if anybody that's listening that I'm wrong, please disregard what I'm saying. But I think that like China originally offered to help the United States and send over stuff and they kind of relinquished any of that type of help. So I think it's very good in these types of situations to kind of lean on each other, like the entire world and kind of learn from each other because I think we would have solved this earlier, especially because like China and Italy and all those areas got it much, much earlier than the United States. So we could have kind of taken a note from, from what they were doing and kind of been ahead of the game. So is there any last message or any positive thing that you want to leave people on just to kind of, kind of uplift their spirits during this time and kind of still remain positive? Well, I would, I know what's, helped me is to just say that you know a sense just keep thinking that everything will be fine because I feel like if you are like a Debbie Downer and you keep thinking negatively then like that's it I feel like it might things might actually go negatively but if you think positively I feel like that'll definitely it'll not only make you feel better but it'll also feel like you would have better hopes and who knows maybe I don't know if it's like car right word for like karma or whatever that if you think positively then things will go your way. Yeah, I'm a very big believer in what comes around goes around. And so I think what you give, you'll receive back later. And so I think that's something I think we both could agree on that we both believe. So thank you so much, Tinchi, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I know we were coordinating for quite some time on a date. And I appreciate you getting on this late on your time. Um, Because I know there's quite a big time difference between us right now so I appreciate you accommodating me into your schedule especially because you're still working and everything like that so if anybody ever had any questions for you is there any way that people could contact you either through some type of social media or via email or anything that maybe you have some questions about Japan or what's going on there yeah that's fine um so my email is um just my name with an extra i in between 
my first and last name at gmail.com. Should I, do you want me to spell that out or? Yeah, uh, if you could spell out your name, because I don't, I know it might be in the description of the podcast, but maybe if people are just listening with audio and not necessarily reading the description. So just like spell out your whole email address as well. If you have like an Instagram handle that you're okay with people messaging you on, that would be great as well. So my email is T-E-N-S-H-I-I-N-A-K-A-M-U-R-A at gmail.com. And then my Instagram is just my name. So it's uh, T-E-N-S-H-I N-A-K-A-M-U-R-A. And so if you have any questions and all, you can, you're free to ask me about them. I'd be happy to answer them. And then to Summer, yes, thank you very much for having me. I very much appreciate and enjoyed our talk today. Yeah, thank you so much for being on again, Tinchi, and have a good night. I know you're probably ready to get in bed and go to sleep right now, so I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, and I look forward to chatting with you soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And we want to keep the momentum of the Black Lives Matter movement going. And so I'm going to provide some tangible things that you can do in order to support it. One thing that you could physically do is show solidarity and support at local protests and rallies. Make sure, though, when you do go that you are social distancing and that you are wearing your masks. And if that's something you're very fearful of, I've seen online rallies organized as well. Other tangible things that you can do online if you prefer to stay within your your homes is sign petitions, donate money or resources if you have the funds, show solidarity and support even on social media by reposting and educating yourself. There's so many good accounts to follow that keep you up to date with news and other resources. I would really suggest Sean King and Color of Change. Another thing that you can do is show support to small locally owned black businesses You could reach out to people that you know and just to make sure that they're doing okay. Another thing I would do is just make sure to educate yourself. There are so many books, movies, resources. I would suggest White Privilege by D'Angelo. I would also suggest a lot of movies such as The 13th, which is a documentary on Netflix. And you can also just stir up conversation within your family and friends and communities. And just to talk about this and to kind of look within deep yourself, to look at your racial prejudices and your microaggressions and to dive deep and see what you can do better. (music) 